This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Any old show can talk about head coaches. It only takes a mouth and a live microphone. So we figured around here, why don't we just bring the coaches on the show and let them talk to you? Who needs the middleman? I'm just a middleman here. I want you to hear from them directly, and you're going to hear from another one tonight, Kirby Smart. And we'll have several more throughout the week. We, we're live. We're atop a media-filled downtown Nashville, Tennessee. It's Tuesday. You know, we do these shows on Tuesday during the season. We just figured we'd throw you one this week as well. It is Tuesday night, July 18th, the year of our Lord, 2023. As I said in mere moments, you will see our exclusive conversation with Georgia head coach Kirby Smart from earlier today. A lot going on off the field around his program. Did we ask him about it? Of course responsibly, ethically. We sure did. What ifs tonight? Bold predictions tonight. Michigan spotlight evening. That's tonight. Surprising amount of you have asked for that in the comment section. All that plus, if one team rises, if one dynasty ascends, does the other have to fall? One of you asked. Several more of you have thought it. I will respond tonight. They're watching us in Woodstock, Georgia, Little Rock, Arkansas, Denton, Texas, Toronto, Canada. Thank you so much. If you missed our conversation with LSU's Brian Kelly, judging by the numbers, not many of you did, but if you want to see it, whole thing on the YouTube channel. And I'm told, good authority, Nick Saban may be stopping by the show tomorrow. Billy Napier may be stopping by the show tomorrow. So this is the place to be. Make sure you're subscribed. If you have not already, the road to 200,000 subs continues. We are in Nashville, Tennessee for SEC Media Days. Georgia rolled into town today. I sat down with the head coach of the Georgia Bulldogs, Kirby Smart. And why waste any more time telling you what he said? Let's just show you our conversation with Kirby Smart from earlier today. Georgia head coach Kirby Smart is in Nashville, Tennessee for SEC Media Days. Uh, the most important question I've hit everyone with is vacation. Some of you guys believe in it, some of you don't. How much have you believed in it this year? A lot. I believe in vacation and uh, kind of getting your batteries recharged. I think it's important to do it. So uh, I argue with my wife all the time about it because she wants to go out of the country and I'm kind of a SEC footprint baby. So I don't, <laughs> I don't like to leave the five-hour radius of uh, Athens, but she's like wanting to go to Italy somewhere. But we don't leave the country much. They got cell phone service over there. You can get recruiting calls on the Amalfi Coast. You I don't know if that, I can right? get ice water. That's my problem. Yeah, that's actually a really, really, really good point. I, the small pleasures in life. So um, a lot of folks have talked about you recently because you won back-to-back -back national championships, but then a whole bunch of the conversation has been off the field. You never dealt with that as a defensive coordinator. 
Sure. You're a head coach and you're a leader of a major program. And so from your perspective, what is it like managing a million different things, the least of which recently has seemed like it has anything to do with on the field? It's part of it. I mean, I think the criticism and the, 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 the kind of the cost of being a leader, um, you accept some of those things and that criticism. But to be honest with you, I worry about our team. And uh, I've always focused on what's important now. I've always focused on control what you can control. And uh, we got a great room of guys. We got a great uh, group of coaches. Um, we've retained our coaches after national championships. And it's pretty incredible how much we've kept our guys together. So I feel really good about what we have in our place. Retention's a word we use a lot with roster, returning yep. starters and whatnot. But you're talking about a staff there. And one of the hallmarks of successful programs is oh, they've constantly got coaching, overturn, and there's a lot of staff that we never even see that you've got churning inside your program. Um, how valuable is that? When you when you got the same minds coming back from a successful organization last year, year before, and how much do you have to change the culture of your program to where it's conducive to folks wanting to come back year over year? Yeah, I think retention is one of the number one things that indicates success. I mean, we've been really fortunate. I, I was looking today, coming here, two of the kids we brought or Brock Bowers and Kamari Laster, they're in the COVID class. Well, the COVID class, if you remember, never went on official visit, never really got recruited, and we got 17 of the 20 that we signed coming back. I would argue there's probably nobody in the country that has 17 out of 20 of their guys back in that class because it was a unique class. Um, so the retention part, they want to be there, they want to be successful, they want to win, and that class has really been successful for us. But it's true in coaching, too. We've got 26 people in our program that graduated from Georgia working at Georgia. Mm. So the amount of pride they take in that and, and performance, uh, it's incredible, and they get a lot of buy-in that way. What's, uh, what's the interview process for you like? When you're interviewing someone who, not from Georgia, hadn't worked in the SEC, you think they have the unique characteristics that it takes to work at Georgia, but you may not know them on that granular level. How hard do you have to hammer? And I'm not even talking about a coach. I'm talking about someone on a recruiting staff. I'm talking about player personnel. How deep do you have to dive before you're ready to check the box and say, that's my guy, that's my girl? I want a lot of input, so I'm going to use my staff. We've got a valuable staff. We've got a large staff. I want people that know people. I want people that have worked with them before. I would, I would love to say that I've worked with them, but once you stay somewhere as long as I've been at Georgia, that becomes hard yeah. because you haven't worked with enough people. So you use the people in your organization that have the ability to assess talent and also work ethic. And, like, do we want to be around this person? Because we enjoy going to the office at our place. Our staff gets along great. And um, I'm, I'm big on, you know, relying on other people in the office to say, did you talk to them? Did you spend time with them? What did you think about them? Because you can go get talented people and bring them into your organization if you do it the right way. Talk to me about this team a little bit. I know a lot of attention is going to be on Carson Beck today, but look past the quarterback position because everyone's talking about that. Um, what are two or three of the focal points or maybe hinge points you're looking at saying that will determine whether we're right back in Atlanta in December? You start with the quarterback, which you did. Um, I think outside of that, it's going to be a lot of the same things that always come up. Can we not give up explosive plays on defense, but yet still affect the quarterback? You know, we lost some guys in Nolan and Jalen that really affected the quarterback. That's one of my major concerns is can we get to the quarterback? Do we have elite pass rushers, or do we have to create it another kind of way um, and reinvent yourself? we got good defensive players, but I don't know if we got the guys on the edge and interior that we've had in the past. Uh, offensively, you know, with Coach Bobo coming in and uh, taking over for Coach Munkin. we got a staff that's been intact. They know the weapons of the offense. What are the strengths and weaknesses of the quarterbacks? Because we got a different quarterback. That's one thing for sure. We're going to have a different quarterback. But we got some good players around them. So I'm excited to see what happens with those guys. Now, let me tell you, one of the hardest laughs I've had is when Todd Munkin gets a job elsewhere. 
you've known Mike Bobo for like 700 years, <laughs> and folks who have never met him a day in their life were mildly critical in saying, why didn't he conduct a national search? Why did he just elevate from within? Plus, we've seen Mike Bobo before. We want something new. Um, I'm delivering that to you just in case you don't subscribe sure. to the paper these days. So when you listen to that kind of stuff, what's your reaction? Other than saying, shut up. I love, I love it because I'm like, it's the same crowd that when Mel Tucker left said, who's Dan Lanning? And uh, same crowd that when Dan Lanning left, who's Glenn Schumann? Um, and, and, you know, when we hired Todd Munkin, there's not a lot of people that just were over uh, abundant with joy with that hire. So um, each hire is, is going to be graded based on the results and the outcomes. And to me, it's really a, a more process related. I'm more thinking of like, who's going to do the best job with our staff? Who understands our staff? Who gives us continuity? Who's called it before? Who's coached quarterbacks before? It was a really good fit. And we brought him in with the thought that if Muck never left, we would be comfortable. I heard you talk recently on a podcast about how, how much more trust you're able to put in staff now than maybe you were when you first took over. You're a little more paranoid. You want your hands on everything. Um, that's easy to say. It's, it's far less easy to do when you're in charge with determining the outcome. How hard is it to start trusting folks and delegating and saying, I'm going to give you a responsibility, and if you fail in this, the whole thing's going to blow up, but I can't control it. It's, it's on your plate now. How hard is that to do? Well, it's, it really has become much easier. I don't know if it's because my kids have gotten older. Like, I, I had more time, idle time on my hands to have my hands in everything. You know, my kids are older. My kids are in playing in sporting events. I want to be around my kids. Also, have found that you retain coaches better when you empower them yeah. um, and you give them growth and you give them the ability to go be successful and let them fail at what they may do, uh, let them succeed at what they may do, but let them do it their own way without uh, just doing it with ironclad fist. Last question for you here. You're in, you're in the prime of your career. I don't know if you'll do this 30 more years, however long you do it, though. Um, do you have a process for documenting what's happening? I don't even care if you write a book one day. Just for you to look back on it personally, a lot of folks believe in journaling. A lot of folks realize I don't have time to journal. Do you document things or do you just hope that memory is, is ironclad? Yeah, I don't document things very well. I'm not a writer. Uh, I've never enjoyed uh, the, the my, my, my mother's English teacher, so she'll get mad at me about this. But I'm not a writer or a reader. I don't do that. I, I've got a lot in my memory bank, but uh, no, I don't document it well. Hmm. Kirby Smart, head coach, University of Georgia. Thank Appreciate you, you joining us. Appreciate it, man. Fan and myself, because a lot of you who are real ones who have been around the show for a while, you were here this time a year ago, and you remember things were a little bumpier between myself and Kirby Smart this time a year ago. And by that, I mean we scheduled a conversation with him, and then I fell asleep in my hotel room the night before, tragically, and did not wake up in time the next morning because I didn't set my alarm clock. And so he shows up before the event is supposed to even go down. And his contingent wakes up early to come over to the hotel with him. I'm nowhere to be found. The crew's there. Kirby Smart, who's just won a national title five minutes ago and is about to go win one the next season. He's there, and I'm in my bed sleeping. Just sound asleep. Anyway, I say that to remind you because I told the story. Okay, I'm not perfect. I got flaws. I care too much. I invest too deeply in people. And sometimes I sleep in on the defending national champion head coach. I remembered it. The point is, I hoped he had forgotten. So after that interview's over, a lot of you always ask me, what do you guys talk about off the record? You talk to head coaches all the time. What's it like off the record? Well, I can't betray that confidence, except right now I'm going to. I talked to Kirby Smart in the hallway earlier today, and you see that face right there. If you're listening on podcast, just picture someone 
who knows they've gotten one over on you, and picture me with the most defeated posture imaginable. Uh, This is not chiropractor friendly, but he walked up to me and he said, I appreciate you showing up this year because you don't always do that. You remember that? You remember that from last year? He asked me if I remembered it. Yeah, I remembered it. So I thought that should be shared. Listen, he mentioned the word retention. I mentioned the word retention in a different context. He started talking about retaining players, retaining coaches, retaining people. Uh, That's the name of the game. I don't think people understand past the typical how many starters am I returning conversation. Retention takes a lot. Okay, first off, he mentioned with coaches, you have the best chance to retain coaches by empowering them. In other words, giving them decision-making authority and empowering them. Because guys, a lot of times, know that the perception on them is, I'm coaching under this, this great leader, but I'm really not making any calls. He does it all. And if that reputation gets out, all of a sudden people think you really aren't all you're cracked up to be. Well, if it gets out that Kirby Smart or Nick Saban or Ryan Day or whoever is entrusting that guy down there to make decisions, it, it empowers you and makes you want to stick around, but also it elevates your own personal stature and value a little bit more. The player retention is big. I talked to Cedric Van Pran today. That guy was on the fence about going to the NFL, coming back, and he comes back. And it's not to say that you're going to bat 100 and getting guys to come back, or bat 1,000, and getting guys to come back because you're running a good program. It just ups the percentage chance that you do. The third thing, though, and this is what I kind of honed in on, there are uh, not very many elite programs out there, but there are some pretty good to really good programs out there with a few elite ones, not all of them are destination programs. Not you would think so, but I'm telling you the talk behind the scenes, program to program differs. Some of them are viewed as more stepping stone jobs, not because they're lower in stature, but because the culture is not conducive to people wanting to stay there. And instead, people take the jobs at those particular programs, knowing if I go serve my time one, two, three years there, then I'll get a job at a place I actually want to be. Uh, That's not what Georgia is. And I don't know that it ever was the opposite. I just know from talking to enough folks around that program and listening to Kirby Smart talk that it is as conducive to people wanting to stay around today as it ever has been. Now, that's not necessarily baked into the cake when you're a defensive coordinator learning how to dial up zone blitzes. Like uh, that's what he knew how to do better than anyone in the country when he was at Alabama. But being a leader and also fashioning your program in a way where it, it magnetizes in the pull fashion instead of the push fashion for the folks working inside the building, uh, that is not taught in any classroom. You got to learn that the hard way. And the other thing that I took away from what you just listened to is he was talking about his team this upcoming year. They're going to be a consensus number one. Everyone's going to pick him to go to the playoff. A bunch of folks will pick him to win the national championship game. And I've been asked on a few hits I've done, is there any weakness on this team? Well, relative to Wyoming, no, there's not any weakness on the Georgia team. But relative to what it takes to win a national championship, is a question mark a weakness? I don't know about that. That's why it's a question mark. But he laid out one for you right there. If no one else wants to talk about it, getting to the quarterback, can they get to the quarterback? He said it's one of his biggest questions slash concerns. I just want you to picture something. Let's say the answer to that question is very incomplete. Uh, let's say data is incomplete earlier in the year. Let's say George has beaten some teams just because they outmanned them, but you're watching and you're saying, hmm, uh, South Carolina had a little bit more success through the air against us. Auburn, Auburn had a little bit more success in perimeter runs than I thought they'd have. We won the game, but 
later in the year, in the playoff, against Alabama or LSU in the SEC championship game, would that work? Well, I'm thinking about that, and I'm saying, if you can't get to the quarterback, and I see you go to Nealon late in the year, could that be where you get bitten? If you got a game where you know you need to hang 42 to win, do you have the quarterback to do it? I think, I think the answer may be yes. I think the wide receiver core there, and I count Brock Bowers in that, and like the 14 other tight ends they have, I think the answer is yes. Uh, but I have seen too many seasons where we've entered with a consensus number one, and then all of a sudden we're asking what happened in late November to just write a national championship number three in Sharpie next to that Georgia logo. So that's not negativity, by the way. That's just realism. That's how sports actually work. We appreciate Kirby Smart joining the show, though. Not everyone would have come back from that last year. And um, he did. So we appreciate it. Let's talk about what ifs this year. Got a lot of what ifs. Oh, the time is ticking away. We're about to answer a lot of these. But first, what about week two? We're counting down to week one, but week two is where we start with Beckett tonight. He said, what if week two is the most chaotic week of the season? Beckett, let me just go ahead and give you a ceremonial paper pop because my friend, that very well could be the case. Stats and info, or as you might know him, producer Jesse, tells me there are 15 Power 5 versus Power 5 out-of-conference games that week. Among them, Texas at Alabama, Texas A&M at Miami, Iowa, Iowa State is that day. Notre Dame, NC State is that day. Utah is at Baylor that day. Jesse, I think this is the one where Oregon plays Texas Tech, isn't it? Maybe, yeah. So, so Cincy, Pittsburgh, Vandy, Wake Forest is this day. Is Vandy starting off 2-0, 3-0, 4-0? Well, uh, that game will go a long way in deciding that. Oh, that's also Nebraska-Colorado Day. So there is a lot going on on this afternoon. Yes, that is Oregon-Texas Tech Day. Auburn goes to Cal. Just throwing them out there. Wisconsin-Washington State. Arizona is visiting Mississippi State this year. So there's a lot of weird-looking matchups. Uh, point being, I just mentioned a few of them that will actually impact the playoff race. I mentioned several more that could impact conference championship races. I didn't even have time to mention the fact that Ole Miss goes to Tulane that day. You've got OU at SMU that day. SMU with, I think, three straight top 20 portal classes. It could be a big shakeup weekend. And the other thing is, you know, one of the big rules Mima always had when I was growing up is don't get married to the results you see in week one. And yet everyone every season gets married to the result they see in week one. Week two is still way too early to know what or whom a team is. And yet there will be people, based on what they saw in week one, that think they know exactly what's coming in week two. And that is a recipe for you eating ramen noodles in week three because you bet things you weren't supposed to bet on, things you're not supposed to bet on, using logic you weren't supposed to be using. We have been there. We've all been there a time or two. Hopefully you come out of that wilderness. And the Ramen Noodle Express would never lead you astray like that. But week two could be wild. And so what if it happens? Well, I think the answer is obvious there. The answer is you kind of hit reset on a lot of your expectations. Your preview magazines, you just toss them in the bonfire. They're no good anymore. And that's not even to mention by week two, we've probably, unfortunately, got some inevitable injuries that have happened for major teams, which is also turning your expectations upside down. Yeah, week two is one to circle, kids. Keep an eye on that. Next up, uh, this one could be a little wild as well. Let's go to the West Coast. Dax said, what if a team in the bottom half of the Pac-12 odds makes the conference championship game? Well, I guess it would be irresponsible of me to not remind you who's in the top half and who's in the bottom half of the Pac-12 championship odds. And I also want to let you guys know, don't be the casual that comes in the comments and say, 
Nobody cares about the Pac-12 this year. Pac-12 is going to have a very entertaining product this year. Remember, it doesn't always have to be a college football playoff sticker on the side of the game for you to care about it. At least I hope it doesn't. So Southern Cal, Oregon, Washington, Utah, Oregon State, UCLA. That's the top half of the Pac-12 when it comes to odds. So what the question is, is Washington State, Colorado, Arizona, Cal, Arizona State, Stanford, what if one of those teams plays for the conference title? Well, my response to that would be, of course, which team's it going to be? That's all I would care about. And I would go Washington State. Not only are they the next odds team listed, I think all eyes would be on Washington State because they avoid USC. They avoid Utah. They got that new offensive coordinator, by the way. I think one of the very youngest in the Power Five level, uh, Ben Arbuckle. He was the OC at Western Kentucky. He's out there now. Cam Ward, quarterback, is still out there. The impact on the rest of the Pac-12 also here would reverberate nationally because unless Washington State somehow has found a way to just go undefeated in conference play, and that explains their presence in the Pac-12 championship game, could they be in the Pac-12 championship game as a result of everyone else out there imploding and everyone having three losses on their resume and as a result, none of them being in the college football playoff picture? I think that may be probably a more likely scenario than Washington State going undefeated. Uh, but the win totals out there, just to give you an idea of what this would take, this would be a team with a preseason over-under win total of six making the conference title game. That's some Big 12 stuff right there. That stuff happens in the Big 12. Next up, hmm, interesting scenario being posed to us from South Bend, Indiana. Pablo said, what if Notre Dame's record decreases for a second straight year? I guess that'd be a trend because it's two years in a row. Uh, to give you a refresher course, so they were 11-2 and two in the last year under Brian Kelly. They were 9-4 and four last year. That was Marcus Freeman's first year. This year, for this to happen, they would obviously be 8-5 and five or 7-5 and five or counting the bowl game or not counting the bowl game. So what if that happens? Well, I'll tell you what if on my part. My, my what if would be, what if it happens? Well, we would have to have a reminder at how hard it is to win. And when you make a head coach, his first job being a major program, these are some of the growing pains you actually should expect. It should be a surprise when this doesn't happen, as opposed to when it does happen. And so they're over under win totals eight and a half right now. So, I mean, eight is right there in the card. Seven wins, it wouldn't be crazy. Now, of course, 10 wins wouldn't be crazy either. But remember, we talked about Notre Dame's schedule the other night. There is one team, and it's them. They are the only team in the country in all of Power Five that plays three teams with a preseason over-under win total of 10 or more. That's Ohio State at home, that's USC at home, and that's at Clemson, which is obviously on the road. So what if they lose those three games, none of which they'll be a favorite in? And then what if they randomly lose to like at Louisville? That's the second road game in as many weeks for them. What if they fall to, to Pitt or someone like that? That wouldn't be crazy. What if they go to NC State and lose in week three? Well, that makes them a four-loss team. And then the bowl game would decide if they improved or didn't improve. I would look at it, and let's just say they go 8-5 and five this year. I'd look at it and say, all right, Notre Dame went 8-5. and five. Fell short of expectation. It's not time to torch and pitchfork the program, though, is what I would say. And also, that guy is in his grand total of two years as a head coach. Let's give him a little time. That's what I would say if we're doing the what-if thing. That's what I would say. Now, I would love to know what happened. Did the Sam Hartman 
experiment just not pan out? Did Tommy Rees exiting that place as offensive coordinator and Gerard Parker being elevated really not work out? Did they just have a bunch of close losses and really not play as badly as their record indicates? Are we sitting here in December making Notre Dame the poster child for you aren't what your record says you are always? I would love to know the answers to those questions. Lastly, in the what if department, (laughs) this one would drive people mad especially the closer you get to College Station, Texas. Dorian said, what if Texas A&M goes 8-4 and four this season? That is called no man's land. For a fan base that wants a definitive answer this year on whether they got the right guy as their head coach, that is no man's land. That is poison. This is one of those things where you start creeping up to that, I don't know if it's a forbidden statement, but it very much is an undesirable statement. But you're creeping to the point where you get some Aggie fans that say, I'd rather us be six and six than eight and four, because if we're eight and four, that's nowhere good enough for us, but it's also not bad enough to make a move because no one's firing a head coach who goes eight and four, obviously. They'd, they'd just rather have one extreme or the other. That is not the entirety of AM's fan base. I'm telling you, there is a portion sizable enough for me to mention on the show that feels that way. And so if they win eight and four and the losses are to who you would expect them to have losses to, Well, I think there would be a December full of question asking, and I would think there would be a statement that would needed to be made or that would need to be made by the athletic department out there. And uh, we'd see what recruiting did. But if they if they lose to Bama, if they lose at Tennessee, if they lose at LSU, they drop one more game somewhere there. That's eight and four. The over under is eight and a half. So, I mean, that's right in the neighborhood of where they're expected to be. But that's the odds makers point of view. A Texas A&M Aggie fan says, well, uh, so we didn't even come close to making a move on Jimbo last year, nor should we. We gave him time. He hired what we think is going to be his play caller. Who knows? I can't get a definitive answer out of him. And uh, we also have given him everything he needs. As a fan base, we've given him everything he needs. If he goes eight and four, he's not giving us everything we need. But I would also remind you of this. His records since he's been there have been nine and four, eight and five. They went nine and one in the COVID year, eight and four, five and seven. Eight and four is kind of Texas A&M under Jimbo Fisher. So it wouldn't be strange at all. It's just that there's, there's this magical expectation slash wish casting going on out there right now that all of a sudden, uh, 10 and two is where we really should be. And then hopefully we get some lucky breaks and 11 and one, and we don't need 12 and 0. Just let's get to Atlanta. Let's be the one that does what LSU did last year. Why not us, right? Well, um, I'll tell you why not. If you win eight and four, that's the why not. And then all of a sudden, we have an entirely different conversation on our hands. Uh, We are glad you are tuned in live. If you are, make sure you subscribe to the channel because it keeps the show free along with our friends at Academy Sports and Outdoors. They are presenting SEC Media Days Week. I mean, that is what makes us able to do those interviews. It's what makes us able to do this show all the time. It is good to have a friend like Academy Sports and Outdoors. Now, let me also remind you guys of something. A lot of you out there play football. A lot of you are getting ready for camp to open. And a lot of you coach as well. You can get anything you need under the sun at Academy Sports and Outdoors, but specifically, guardian caps are what I'm talking to you about over the next few weeks uh, because we want to make you aware, at least. If you're a coach, if if you're a team mom, if you're responsible for buying equipment, you know practice can be tough sometimes. Football games themselves can be tough. Take preventative measures to avoid head injury when you can. Those Guardian caps 
They don't eliminate the risk, but they greatly reduce them. You're looking at a picture of it if you're watching on YouTube right now. These are exclusively available at Academy for the time being. And it is literally what it sounds like, a guardian cap. You put it on the helmet. I go to college practices all the time. Every one of the major college football teams are wearing these things when they practice. Every one of them is wearing it when they scrimmage because it really doesn't impact performance at all. Uh, The net result is the players love wearing them because they're extremely lightweight, so you can't tell it's on. But also it cools you off and it reduces impact. And so there is no downside. It's just just plus, plus, plus. It's all an upside. Uh, Those guardian caps are a godsend for anyone who is going to play the game of football or coach the sport of football. So you go grab you a guardian cap or 10, get you a baseball bat because you know eventually fall ball is going to roll around. Go pick you up some tennis rackets, pickleball, a tent, whatever you want. They got it at Academy Sports and Outdoors. And if you can't get there in person, academy.com is your hookup. They're watching us in Del Rio, Tennessee. They're watching us in Wall, New Jersey and Greensboro, Alabama. Thank you guys so much for being tuned in. Let's dive right back into reckless, wild speculation. Why not? Bold predictions, chapter 19 upon us tonight, and we got a 9.5 to lead it off. We've only had one documented 10 on the bold prediction boldness scale so far. Uh, We're going to push it tonight here. This is a nine and a half. We lead it off With Trent from Nashville, Tennessee, he said, first-year starters Kyle McCord at Ohio State and Carson Beck at Georgia will be Heisman finalists. He's not done. Heisman finalists and first-round draft picks. That's a nine and a half. Some of you would argue that's low. You may be right. That's at least a nine and a half. There is one combined start in their college careers. We're calling multiple first-rounders and Heisman finalists here. Now, Georgia had the number five offense in the country last year. I know that shocked some people to remember. They did. So Carson Beck is starting now for a team that showed the ability to produce at a high level offensively. Likewise, Kyle McCord, if that's the starter there, and we believe he will be, he's starting for the team in Columbus, Ohio, that had the number two offense in the country last year. And by the way, both of those quarterbacks, C.J. Stroud, Stetson Bennett, were Heisman finalists. Now, Bennett didn't go in the first round of the draft. Lesson learned. Go to the Senior Bowl, kids. C.J. Stroud was. So this almost happened last year for those two guys. But the net result of this prediction is, I'm supposed to think that Carson Beck and Kyle McCord are going to accomplish what Bennett, national championship winning Stetson Bennett, and C.J. Stroud didn't? I don't think so. First round, both of them, along with Heisman finalists, and they both have years of eligibility left beyond this if they want to come back. So that may be a moot point there on the back end. This is a 9.5. The good news for those of you who want to make this prediction is if you do believe in things such as Heisman odds, they're tied for 12th. So at least they're up there. I don't know that we have odds for where they go in the draft quite yet, but Kyle McCord and Carson Becker right there, neck and neck tied for 12th in the Heisman odds. So there's that. If you want hope, there's that. Next up, this is uh, pretty close actually. OSU Soldier Boy, with an R, from Stillwater, Oklahoma, said Oklahoma State will win 10 games in the regular season, and one of its two losses will be to the conference champ. Obviously, this goes against my greater advice to you, and that is don't make predictions so specific. Yes, it's impressive when it hits. That's like one out of a million. In the meantime, I'm going to make this a 9.25 on the boldness scale. So Oklahoma State wins 10 games. Well, that would mean they have to finish 
a solid four games higher than their over-under win total of six. Whatever, we've seen that happen before. I'm just letting you know what the expectation market says. Now, it's bold enough to say 10-2. and two. That's bold enough. But predicting that one of their two losses is going to be to the eventual Big 12 champion is even more bold when you consider they don't play the favorite in Texas. They just don't face them. They don't play TCU. They don't play Baylor. They don't play Texas Tech. So it feels to me like what we're saying is we got to have Mike Gundy go 10-2. and two, And one of his two losses needs to be to like Oklahoma or Kansas State. Otherwise, they play four of the bottom six odds teams in the Big 12. They got a really workable schedule, as workable as it can be. 9.25 on the boldness scale for me. Oh, and by the way, trivia time. Who's the starting quarterback for Oklahoma State this year? Jeopardy music. Jeopardy music. Dun, 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 dun. Boom. It's Alan Bowman. And um, he started games in 2018. Totally insane stat. He has 11 passes the last two seasons. So, is that guy going to win 10 games for you? We'll see. Next up, we go to the ACC. Uh, Kind of. We kind of go multiple places here. Tom from Concord, North Carolina. NC State has the best record of any Power 5 team in the Carolinas. I think Tom, or or someone from that neck of the woods, posed a similar what-if slash bold prediction last year. So who, let's remind you, you can do your own little trivia game in your head on this too, who are the Power Fives in the Carolinas? Well, you know you got Clemson, and I'm just going to give you the over-under win totals while I'm at it. Clemson over-under, 10. North Carolina, 8.5. NC State is third. There's seven. South Carolina, 6.5. Duke, 6. Wake Forest, 6. And I'm supposed to believe the Wolfpack there, they're going to have a better record than anyone. Well, I call this an 8.75 on the boldness scale, only because I probably need a mixture of two things to happen. I probably need NC State to overachieve, and I probably need Clemson to underachieve. Because Clemson, at their worst, has been a 10-win team. So I need them down at like 9-3, and 8-4, and four, and I need NC State 9-3, and 10-2. I probably need that. Uh, they do. NC State does play four of the five teams that are listed there. They, they play uh, Clemson, they play North Carolina. They play, uh, let me make sure, South Carolina. No, they don't. They play Duke. Yes, they do. So they got a lot of those teams that I listed. So we'll have a lot of head-to-head. Also, they play Notre Dame. They're 43rd in S&P Plus, And they're 103rd in returning production. So if you got confidence in NC State, that's wonderful. A certain percentage of it is blind confidence, which pans out all the time in college football. This is a sport where 25 to 30% of your roster overturns every year. Eight or more wins in five of their last six seasons is probably the money stat. If you're, if you're putting your eggs in this basket, yes, they have shown they can win, but I'm still making it an 8.5 because they, they got to win and probably have someone else or multiple someone's losing. Lastly, Macomb. I'm guessing, Jesse, Macomb is my best guess on the pronunciation from Michigan. No, 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 no. Macomb is the city. Yeah, so that's not the guy's name. Mr. Augusta is the guy's name, ironically from Michigan. Anyway, he says, Illinois will win nine or more games as Brett Bielema continues to turn the program around. Uh, This is an 8.75. It's not wild, but it's pretty bold. Their win total is at six. They had the best year last year they've had since 2007. Kind of anonymously, because they weren't in the East, so you didn't really find them to be appointment viewing. 
But if this happens, it happens because Luke Altmyer at quarterback really pans out for them. They return three of their top four wide receivers. He'll have targets to throw to. Luke Altmyer was at Ole Miss. You remember him there. He's their starting quarterback now. Now, here's why this could happen. They got Toledo, uh, Kansas, FAU. Their out-of-conference schedule is not unworkable. Uh, They avoid Michigan. They avoid Ohio State. They got Penn State at home early in the season. And they play four of the bottom six odds teams in the Big Ten. And they looked really good last year. So, I, you know what? Hold on a second. 8.75. I'm going to make this an 8.5. No, you know what? Tom Fornelli may be watching. I'm making this an 8.25 on the boldness scale. Illinois could absolutely win nine games or more. Or can you imagine a world? Are your children prepared for a world? where Illinois wins double-digit games? Mine aren't. That's why I haven't had them yet, of course. Good for me for being responsible. Toledo, Kansas, FAU on that out-of-conference. That could be what determines that. Let's see. Also, I would like to know in the comments, what is your opinion of Illinois' mid-season artwork? Or not mid-season, midfield artwork. They got the Illinois eye, and they have the state of Illinois outline. I have always found, being the geography nerd that I am, I've always found that people really struggle to draw state outlines off of memory. And I'm one of the weirdos that can do it. Illinois is one of the most random states for people who've never been to Chicago. It's one of the people know Chicago. They don't even know Illinois. Half the folks in Illinois would say that, actually. So draw the outline of the state of Illinois. You can't do it, can you? Half of you in Illinois can't do that. It's just it's a very weirdly shaped state. Well, They took advantage of that at midfield, and they've got the outline drawn. I'm just curious what you guys think about it. It's worth a Google. All right, let's move it on. Being the Big Ten heavy show that we are, far be it for us to be accused of homerism of any other conference. Being the Big Ten hub that we are here at Lake Kick, uh, we're going to talk about Michigan here right after I take a sip out of the chalice. And Jesse screams in my ear, please like the video and subscribe to the channel. After that happens, and I'd do it if I were you. I mean, Jesse's, Jesse's, Jesse's had a busy day. And you all know he's worried about that Florida game because he has to start at quarterback against them in week one this fall. If you know, you know. And so just please, not for me. Don't do it for me. Don't do anything for me. But for producer Jesse, being the real boy that he is, please like the video and subscribe to the channel or the podcast. All right, let's talk Michigan for a second. Uh, what we're doing here, this is not a segment for Michigan fans. This is a segment for everyone. What I've done is, I know some of you some of you are in the camp that maybe they're not carrying the preview magazines where you are. Maybe they're a little bit too pricey for you. You don't buy them anymore. Well, we swoop in to save the day heroically at the 11th hour, and we do a segment per show, and we just pick a team, and we kind of make it to where if you lick your index finger and you, you flip the page in the preview mag, here's the page for Michigan. And we want biggest questions. We want breakout players. What's the best position group here? We also want a good hard take on the schedule. Colin, here's your end point. Michigan spotlight time. What do we need to know? Biggest questions and everything. What do we need to know? Well, the first one, and this is not an easy team to gather big questions about. If, you, if you're a Michigan fan, you may say, oh, I've got a million questions. No, 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 no. I mean, from the national perspective, where are the big glaring questions? There aren't many. For instance, here's where I start with them. What's the evolution of J.J. McCarthy? We don't ask who's starting. We know that. 
We don't ask whether he can perform. We know that at quarterback from Michigan. So what we do want to know, or at least what I would love to know is, do we see, um, do we see more than three games where he's above 250 yards passing? The immediate rebuttal is, well, Josh, he doesn't throw for more yards because we don't need to. That's not our offense. I, I understand what you're saying. I'm all for it. Got it. Great point. My counter is, when you get in situations like you had a couple years ago with Georgia, uh, when you, you could get in one of these situations with Ohio State, who knows, maybe you'll just never lose to him again. And certainly, when you get in a situation like you had with TCU, you got to throw the ball to keep up, catch up, and go ahead. Uh, if you don't get used to that, then it feels very, very foreign when you have to do it. And so I just wonder, is part of the evolution of his game, Jim Harbaugh and his staff, looking and saying, we know what he can do, let's add another layer. Let's focus on making sure we got that layer. Because you're going to have to play heads up with multiple high-level teams with high-level offenses that you have to trade points with to win a national championship. That's just the long and short of it. Fourth in the Heisman odds right now, J.J. McCarthy. And that's really interesting for the same reason Jaden Daniels at third is interesting. Because people just flat out look at him and say, are they going to throw the ball enough to win? I don't know. Question number two for Michigan is corner number two. We look at Will Johnson, and we know that's Michigan's number one corner. We look at the other corner position, and there's a question mark that probably gets filled with a Marion Walker's name. Marion Walker's a phenomenal athlete. He's a former wide receiver who converts to corner, 6'3", 180. Just an excellent athlete. Here's what you think about. I always think about the matchups that teams are going to face, and they're going to... That, that's really what decides a game. It's, it's not power ratings or anything like that. Now, a good power rating bakes in these sorts of things. Uh, but let's just say, let's say Ohio State at the end of the year, let's say their receiver group is what it's cracked up to be. And let's say that lack of depth in the corner room is something they feel like they can expose and they can. I'm not saying any of that happens. I'm saying that's how football works. So let's say the second corner position is just good. Nothing more, nothing less. It's just decent. Well, that's a, that's a matchup problem. Now, if you can run the ball down the throat, if you can rip off explosive plays on your own, then maybe it's not going to cost you a game, or maybe it will. That's what remains to be seen. That's why it's a question. Number three, this is more general. Will Michigan get over that postseason hump they've had? Will Jim Harbaugh get over that postseason hump? That guy's doing so many things right right now. The one glaring statistical anomaly is with all the good that's going on, He's still 1-6 in bowl games. He's 0-2 in college football playoff games. It's hard to win those things. It's hard. That's why you got to fight to even get to them. But when you get to them, you know you may not get another one. Got to pull off wins. Got to get that done or else all this other stuff is, it's not meaningless. That's not what I'm saying. But it seems like it's all for less than what we're ultimately capable of. What are the reasons also? Everyone's got their ideas on this. What are the reasons why Jim Harbaugh uh, lost in 2016, 17, 18, 19, and then 21, 22. What are the reasons? I don't really care. I just care that he fixes them. And so uh, do they know, I guess would be what I care about. Do they know? Have they identified why they've underachieved in postseason play? If they have, they don't necessarily have to tell me about it, but we'll find out either way. They, uh, they have to play those games on public television. That's the blessing of all of this. What's the best position group for Michigan? Michigan with the fourth best odds to win the national title. So they got a lot of good position groups. This could be offensive line. 
Two-time defending Joe Moore Award winners up there. This could be linebacker. They're returning three of them with starting experience. Uh, we're going to go running back, though. And I'll tell you why. Two reasons, actually. One of them's Blake Corum. You're looking at him right now. Run through a hole the uh, size of Commerce Street. And then the other is Donovan Edwards. And both of them are extremely good, and both of them are back. Donovan Edwards is one of those players we spent a lot of time talking about during his recruiting process on this show. Caden Proctor is another one that committed to Alabama, the offensive lineman. Well, Donovan Edwards, we gave him a lot of time on this show because he came down to Michigan and Ohio State. I think Notre Dame maybe was involved. And several people said, why are you spending so much time talking about that guy? Well, the reason is because we thought he was really good. So did everyone else. We were right. He impacts the entire nation's picture. If he runs for 225 and they beat Penn State, he just impacted the Big Ten East race, which impacts the college football playoff picture. Likewise, if they, either one of them really, uh, but Donovan Edwards specifically, if he rips off a couple of 80-plus yard runs against Ohio State and they beat Ohio State, that is a ripple effect that's felt throughout the entire sport. That is why we spend so much time talking about it. JT Tuomaloa at Ohio State, same thing. Spent a lot of time talking about him. He goes and wrecks Penn State last year, and they win a game because of it. So, yes, there are certain players that we hone in on. Donovan Edwards was one of them, and he makes up half of the reason why we think running back is the best room they have. Breakout player. We here in this studio are taking our red Sharpie, or in this case, a blue pen from a Sheraton hotel, and we are putting a circle around the name Colston Loveland. Tight end. There are some amongst us who believe Colston Loveland could end up being the best tight end they've had come through there. Luke Schoonmaker, out the door, very productive for them. Eric All transferred to Iowa, very productive for them. And all of a sudden, we need to know the name Colston Loveland. He's 6'5", he's 240, really good hands, really athletic. Like I said, they look at Brock Bowers down at Georgia. I'm not going to do the comparison thing. I'm certainly not. But they look at Brock Bowers and what he's doing, and, and they think internally, we got a guy that can do some of that. Colston Loveland can do some of that. And I don't, I don't think it's just bluster. I think he's pretty good. And I think the rest of the country will find that out this year. He was number 10 in the 2022 cycle for tight ends, but number one player from the state of Idaho. Tight end central out there in Idaho. The schedule is not something that I look forward to talking about with Michigan because it is what it is. And that's a kind way of describing a dumpster because that's what their schedule is. The non-conference is very weak and the conference slate leads to Ohio State at the end of the year. They go to Penn State the second to last weekend of the year. Very backloaded schedule. I am uh, really interested in their game at Minnesota on 10-7, October 7th. Their first legit test, though, I mean, you could make the statement their first legit test is against Penn State in November, and I couldn't push back hard on it. I think they'll be tested before then because the Big Ten is too difficult a conference to beat everyone 30 to nothing in every week. But there's only, I don't know. This is one of the benefits, even from a guy who doesn't necessarily love all this conference expansion, one of the benefits is at least when you inject more life like USC and UCLA into your conference, it decreases the likelihood I have to look at schedules like this because this is, this is tough to look at. So that is your snapshot of the Michigan program. Uh, last up, I wanted to talk tonight 
about a question we had. I'll give direct Colin time to pull it up while I take a sip from the chalice. <coughs> and almost choke. <coughs> that was terrible. So, I, I, kind of, I kind of went back and forth on whether I wanted to do this tonight. <coughs> it's fine. So we had Kirby Smart today. We got Nick Saban tomorrow. I didn't want to overload the show with this stuff, but I thought that this deserved to be mentioned. So Chase hit us up, and he said, if Georgia three-peats, if they actually do win the national title this year, can we officially write the eulogy for Nick Saban and the Alabama dynasty? Or do we need to wait another year for this, considering they have the same amount of titles since Smart left? I'm in the minority on this, Chase. I don't view them... I don't view them as neck and neck in this conversation, although I know why you view them that way, uh, because there, there, is, there is sort of that feel of there can only be one king on the throne at a given time. And also, it is, it is very much a situation where if Georgia does something, if they're winning something, that means they want something that means Alabama can't win it. I get all that. What I'm saying is there is this line of thinking that if Kirby Smart and Georgia were to pull it off this year, well, that means Alabama's dead. That means the dynasty's over, whatever. Like we wouldn't go into 2024 and Alabama be right there in the top three in terms of odds to win the national title. So no, is my answer. No, it wouldn't be dead. You'd have Georgia doing some incredible things and you'd also have Alabama as a really powerful program. Now, here's where the difference would be. If Georgia wins the national title, and Alabama goes eight and four this year, and they do something they haven't done since 07, then that's an entirely different conversation. But the thing about it is, if Alabama finished eight and four this year, it wouldn't have much to do with Georgia at all. It'd have to do with Alabama. And likewise, if Georgia wins the national title this year, and Alabama goes 11 and one, their one loss is to LSU, and LSU goes 12 and 0 regular season, and they go to Atlanta. Well, first off, Bama may be in the playoff in that scenario. Secondly, they're not dead. A dynasty's not dead until I think we have far more evidence than just one more year that they don't win a national title. Uh, I know some of you have different criteria than I do for what makes a dynasty. And also, you could, you could argue, like I, I thought back when Clemson won a couple of titles in a three-year span against Bama, I thought some of the talk about a Clemson dynasty was a little bit too soon. And I certainly thought the talk of Clemson surpassing Alabama, Dabo Swinney surpassing Nick Saban, and, and Bama's dynasty in the mid-2000s being on the wane, on the decline. I thought it was all too soon, only because the word dynasty means something to me. You can't form a dynasty in 12 or 24 or even 36 months. That's not how that works. And so... You don't kill one that quickly either, unless it's really drastic and really obvious and normally associated with scandal. So anyway, I'm bringing Clemson up because I was talking on CBS HQ earlier today, and I'll tell you again. Now, there was this famous instance when I was down in Columbus, Georgia, where we were on air, and it was after that second time, that 2018 blowout, they just, Clemson just body bagged Alabama. They splattered them out in Santa Clara. And that's when all that started. And I said what I said. I said, you got to be careful now. You're, you're talking about this guy passing Nick Saban. You're talking about Clemson bypassing Alabama. No, they just beat him. They were a better team than them this year. But program-wise, they haven't bypassed Alabama. And folks pushed back, pushed back hard. And they said, 
you're you're just carrying water for him. You're you're stuck on what has been, not what will be. Now Clemson's going to run off a string of success like he's done. What's standing in their way? They got a winnable schedule every year. They're clicking. Everyone wants to go to Clemson. No coaches ever leave Clemson. And I said, uh, well, football will happen to them. Life will happen to them. And guess what? They didn't fall off a cliff. They haven't won another title, have they? And yet Nick Saban in Alabama, still right there. So anyway, history, when you get to the year 2035, we'll look back and they'll say, Clemson had a blip during the Alabama dynasty. They didn't end it. And I'm saying the same thing with Georgia. It may very well be that we're positioned for that team in Athens to go on a 15-year run of dominance, the likes of which we haven't seen since, well, basically Alabama. Could be. We could be in the middle of it right now and not even know it. But here's what we could also be witnessing. We could also be witnessing them win two and then fall back to the pack a little bit due to a combination of a million different reasons. And we could see Bama win two of the next three. So what does history look at? How does history look back? How does it remember it? Um, I don't waste a lot of time thinking about it, is my point. I enjoy it. I think the dumbest thing in the world would be to get to the year 2040, if you're a diehard college football fan, and look back and realize, boy, I didn't really fully appreciate what was happening because I was too busy asking, is it dead or not? It'll be dead when it's dead. Could be 2023, could be 2033. Let's just enjoy it. I know that's a simple-minded way of thinking. Imagine going through life just being happy. Who wants to do that? Gross. Well, I do, and I am. And I invite you to be happy along with me. Oh, for the record, Director Colin has the 2023 College Football Playoff title odds on the board right now. Georgia, Bama, 1-2. Voila. Wouldn't look too much different next year, no matter what happens. Thank you so much for watching. Tuesday shows, we do them every week in the fall. And we're, we're almost back to that normal three-show-a-week rotation. The reason we did a show tonight is because I've been about three or four blocks away at SEC Media Days. What a blessing that's been to have it in my hometown, by the way. Just go, just go sleep in my own bed at night. Um, so anyway, that's why you didn't get a Late Kick Extra podcast today, because we're giving you a whole show tonight. Um, we are seeing a big spike in subscriber traffic. Continue it. So you're already doing what I'm asking you to do. Continue it, continue it, continue it. Subscribers are what we need. We've got them. We want more of them. And that goes for the podcast as well. So listen or watch however you want to. And just make sure you're subscribed and bring 10 of your friends along with you. Thank you so much. We'll be back Thursday night. Check the channel tomorrow. Probably going to talk with Nick Saban on the show tomorrow. Probably going to talk with Billy Napier on the show tomorrow. But when I say on the show, I mean on the channel. Because we don't have a full live show tomorrow. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss that stuff. Because uh, I can assure you, we got Saban and Napier. Those are two very different conversations, two very different guys. Both will be very interesting. So that'll whet your appetite for tomorrow. Uh, no immunity, because there's nothing wrong with saying that. Until then, for Director Colin, for Producer Jesse, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Have a great rest of your evening, and God bless.